Thank you so much, Maddie. Yeah, as Maddie said, today is going to be a very um, sobering passage that we're going to look at, but I know God will meet us in it. I want to start off by telling you about a friend of mine. When my friend was seven years old, her dad left the family, and that was a real relief to her because very often her dad um, was drunk, very abusive, and actually his leaving brought relief for this family. For about a year, the whole family didn't even know where dad was. And then finally, one day, he showed up again. And he wanted a relationship with his daughter. And mom was working through very difficult things, trying to make ends meet, and thought, well, some dad is better than no dad. So my friend spent every other weekend with her dad, and the abuse was ever increasing. And I don't know if you can relate to being a victim like my friend in this devastating story. But in response to this, my friend also tried to find ways of coping with life's difficulties. And she did this by um, finding ways which actually only increased her pain and her shame. She abused substances. She uh, delved into sexual sin. She tried to control her world through an eating disorder. And she actually was convinced changing her gender would give her the fresh start that she wanted a new identity. All of this was an effort to mask the pain and cover the shame of living in a horrifically broken world. I don't know all of you. I wish I did. But I know some of you can relate to this story. I can relate to this story. And today, in our time in your, the Word, we're going to see that God's grace can and does flourish in the darkest situations. It may be tempting for you to think, God's grace needs a safe environment, a comfortable environment to come to life. But Friends, that's not the nature of God's grace. The Bible is full of stories, unlikely places where God's grace pierces the darkness. Today we're going to see in Genesis 38 the story of Tamar, like Maddie said, the very first woman listed in in Jesus' genealogy. So before we even open your packets or get started too far, I want to show you a timeline behind me. What you'll see is the beginning of creation. You have Adam, then you have Abraham, and then you have Jacob, which is his grandson. And under Jacob, you have 12 sons. One of his sons is named Judah. 
And Judah is who we're going to look at today. Tamar marries into Judah's family when Judah is not moving in the right direction. This family is dark, it is depraved, it is dysfunctional to the core. And we're going to see on pages 10 and 11 of your packet, we're going to see the text and the outline. We're going to see three things particularly, a need for grace, the objects of grace, the Christ of grace or a rescue, you'll see in your packet, rescue of grace. And then lastly, we'll talk about our response to it. This chapter might be very difficult for you. It is very difficult for me. And I want you to know that this is a safe space to talk about difficult things. If at any point you feel like, I just need a break, or I need to get some space, get out of here, please feel free to do that. Do whatever you need to do. I want you to know there are staff who are ready to pray with you or be with you, just so you're not alone, even going into the lobby, because this is a very difficult task to, to read this chapter. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open to page 10 of our packet and get started. Our Father, we thank you that you meet us in our dark situations. We confess that we long to be in heaven where fully all things will be righted, even as Megan mentioned last night. But on this side of heaven, this world is broken. Thank you, Lord, that you don't sugarcoat it. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is present in the high times and the low times. And so we commit our time to you and ask that you would meet us and that you would stir our affections for Jesus through our time together. And we pray in his name. Amen. So let's start off by reading the first 11 verses of Genesis 38. Again, that's in your packet on page 10. It happened at that time, Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived yet again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezib when she bore him. Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground. 
so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die, just like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. We're going to stop there, and we'll pick it up in a minute. First of all, we see a need for grace. Two things on your outline we're going to point out. Number one, a wicked father-in-law. And then number two, two wicked husbands. A wicked father-in-law. Let's talk about Judah, the wicked father-in-law. Did you notice in the text? Look at verse one. Judah went down from his brothers, and then it goes on to say he turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Judah is turning away from the family in the line of, of the Lord, who knew the Lord. This is not a good sign in the scripture. And Adullam was a city in Canaan. And earlier in the book of Genesis, the Canaanites were actually cursed by God himself as wicked people. And here we have Judah turning from the family that knows God to God's enemies. This is not a good setup. And look at verse 2. It says Judah actually marries a Canaanite. And the language connects us back to the very first turning away from God that ever occurred in Scripture, Genesis 3. You might remember, they saw the fruit. They saw it. They took it. The same language is used for the way that Judah sees this wife, who's nameless, by the way and remains nameless till the day she dies. She's just called Shua's daughter. Judah is a man who sees what he wants, he takes what he wants, and he has no regard to whether or not it's honoring God. He's a wicked father-in-law. But you know what's amazing? Did you guys see it? The glimpse of grace even there? God gave this guy gave this taker three sons. Wow. Even here, we glimpse God's grace. However, like father, like sons, and these boys did not honor the Lord. Straight up, two wicked husbands were moving on. Ur and Onan are both wicked in the sight of the Lord, quote, unquote. Look at verse 7. Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord put him to death. Boom. Not much to say about that guy, right? Ur was wicked. God put him to death. Look at verse 10. Onan, Judah's second son, did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death also. There you have it. Two wicked husbands. I want to take a pause I want to explain verse 8. It's a very bizarre interchange. You see, Tamar is in a very vulnerable situation in this culture. She's a widow, and she's a childless widow, which in this culture, in this setting, 
was very dangerous for a woman. So Judah does something that seems totally bizarre to our ears, right? But it made sense in this culture. Look at verse 8. Judah says to Onan, son number two, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. You see, having Onan marry Tamar would do two things. The family line would continue, and then Tamar would be protected and provided for. This eventually was going to become made into law. It was going to be codified in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 25. I include it in your packet. If you want to look at it, great. We're not going to take time to read it, but it's called the Leverite Law, and it was a way to care for widows. Bottom line, in this situation, Onan was selfish and wicked. He went into Tamar, but he had no intention of allowing her to conceive a child. He spilled the semen on the ground, the text says. You see, Onan used Tamar. That's what was going on here. And verse 10 says, God saw it and he put him to death. So there we have it. One wicked father-in-law, two wicked husbands. There is a need for grace Before we leave this section, I want to draw your attention to one more thing. Look at how it ends. Verse 11. Did you notice why Judah actually sent Tamar back to her father's house? Did you notice? For he feared that Shelah would die, just like his brothers. Do you see what Judah is doing here? He is blaming Tamar for the death of his two sons, who were wicked. And the text is clear. They were put to death because they were wicked, not Tamar. Do you see what this is? Blame shifting? False accusation? In our culture right now, we call this gaslighting. This is not Tamar's fault. But think about how Tamar must have felt What is wrong with me? Why is God not giving me a child? Why are my sons, my my husbands dying one after another? What is wrong with me? Can you feel the shame Tamar probably was feeling? In our next section of the text, we're going to start to see how both Tamar and Judah start to become objects of God's grace. Read it with me, starting at verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. When Tyra was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat by the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw Shela was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, 
He thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. But he turned to her at the road, and he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you, for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he answered, I'll send you a young goat from my flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, Well, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, Your signet, your cord, your staff that's in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away. Taking off her veil, she put on her garments of widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where's the cult prostitute that was in Enam by the roadside? And they said, no cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. And also the men of the place said, no cult prostitute has been here. Judah replied, well, let her keep her the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you didn't find her. In this section, two objects of grace, Tamar and Judah. Let's talk about Tamar first. Tamar starts off deceived. Deceived. Number one, Tamar's deceived. Did you see it? Right? Judah said, go back to your father's house. When my youngest son is grown up, when Shayla grows up, I will, I will bring him to you in marriage. And Tamar does just that. She goes back to her father's house. She could have married a Canaanite man. She could have, but she didn't. She remained faithful to Judah's house. Tamar trusts Judah's word. And she waits for Shela to grow up. Tamar is deceived. But verse 14 tells us deceived Tamar turns into enlightened Tamar. Look at verse 14, right? She has her aha moment. Her eyes are open. She realizes she has not been given to Shela in marriage, and he is grown up. Boom. Eyes open. She's enlightened. Judah had no intention of keeping his word. None whatsoever. Tamar is at a dead end. Dead end. So what happens? Enlightened Tamar becomes emboldened Tamar. That's what happens. Tamar changes out of her widow's garments and waits at a spot on the road where she hopes to run into Judah. Right here, I have to tell you, many people want to ask the question, what was Tamar's intention? Was she intentionally planning to deceive and seduce Judah? I want you to know many commentators would say yes. But I also want you to know, as we're studying the Bible, it doesn't actually say that. It doesn't actually say that in the text. What it does say is what Judah said 
to Tamar as he assumed she was a prostitute. Did you see what he says? Come, let me come into you, verse 16. Did you see it? Let me come into you. Tamar must have gained great insight into Judah's character at this point. So not only had he broken his word to Tamar, now he wanted to get his sexual desires met through prostitution. Judah only sees a way to fulfill his sexual desires. Judah does not see Tamar. He does not see her. The text says that he does not recognize her. But God saw her. God saw Tamar. In the text, God sees Ur and his wickedness. God sees Onan and his wickedness. And God saw Tamar. Precious sister, I want you to know whatever dark, dysfunctional, messed up situation you are in, God sees you. If you are a Christian today, God sees you, he is with you, and if you are a Christian, do you know he's not just like with you, he's inside of you by the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. If you are in Christ, you will never be rejected, dismissed, or overlooked by God. His son was, so you will never be. But if you are not yet a Christian today, thank you for being here. Thank you. Aren't you just so sick of being your own advocate and protector? Aren't you sick of it? Aren't you ready to look to someone else to fight for you? Aren't you tired of being alone, even in the midst of lots of people? Come to Christ today. Our text starts to show us how God vindicates Tamar. It is a beautiful thing, and that's just what God does for us. Vindication. Did you see what Tamar asked Judah for? You guys, I don't know if you know the context of what, what this is all meaning, but it is insane. Look at verse 18. <laughs> Judah's like, well, what should I give you as a pledge? And she's like, um, your signet, um, and your cord, and that staff that's in your hand. Basically, do you know what Tamar's doing? Asking Judah for his driver's license and his social security card and his passport, and I'll take the deed to your house and your car. Like every form of identification this dude had, she asked for, and he gives her. Do you see God starting to vindicate this woman? God gives Tamar Judah's signet, 
cord, and staff that's in his hand. Tamar is also vindicated in two other ways in our text. Two other ways. First, God gave Tamar Judah's heir. Against the odds, Tamar conceives against the odds. In fact, later in, this, in Scripture, I hope you're reading the book of Ruth. Because in chapter 4 of the book of Ruth, do you know Tamar herself is used as a blessing to God's people to remind them of how God provides an offspring in amazing ways? Tamar! This Tamar! Dead-end Tamar! Wow! Against the odds, God gives Tamar Judah's heir. Remember that timeline up there? If you continue it on, it leads to Jesus. This heir leads to the birth of the anointed one, the Christ Megan told us about. All of history was pointing to. But this is not the most shocking vindication in the text. Let's start reading at verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out. Let her be burned. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. <laughs> you know what's coming. And she said, please identify whose these, are, whose these are, the signet, the cord, the staff. Here it is, verse 26. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not know or have sexual relations with her again. He did not know her again. Did you catch that? I mean, circle it. Judah says, Tamar is more righteous than I. Talk about the outsider becoming an insider. Boom. Tamar is vindicated. Tamar is an object of God's grace. In verse 26, Judah shockingly acknowledges his sin. Through Tamar's actions, Judah acknowledges his moral failings. He sinned. But no situation is too dark for God's grace. None. God's grace does not need neat, straight, moral, perfect people. God uses crooked sticks, sisters. Crooked sticks. And we are all crooked sticks. So that is good news for us. 
God uses crooked, crooked sticks. He is in the breathtaking business of making his grace pierce the darkest situations. And this is the reality for all of you, every single one of you. God's grace pierces the dark situations of your life. But we have to ask, why would God show grace to this family? This family, this messed up family. How could he show grace to this family? Or any family for that matter. It just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. Well, there is only one way for God to remain just and still show grace to a family like this, undeserving family. His justice would have to be met in another way. And on your outline, this is the rescue of grace. The rescue of grace. The amazing truth of the gospel is this. God blessed this family because he would break up his own family. You see, God the Father sent his only son out of the comfort of heaven into our broken, dark, messed up world. God himself, Jesus, put on flesh and was born as a baby to a poor family in a backwater town. Often he had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was born for one purpose, to die and to justify. He was born to die and to satisfy God's justice. You know, in Genesis 38, isn't it crazy? Judah didn't want to lose his, his youngest son, right? He didn't want to risk it. But do you know, look at the top of your outline. It says on the top of your outline, and it is so true from God's word, such a familiar text. God freely gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't die, but will have eternal life. This is the good news. I think we can all agree, Tamar's life was a nightmare. Tamar's life was a nightmare. We all have nightmares. Some of us, it's just our worst fears. Some of us have lived our nightmares. Some of us are living our nightmares. Instead of thinking about your nightmares, take a moment and breathe. Think of what life should look like. Think about the best life ever.
Think about everything going right, every relationship, every situation, finances, physical health, the people around you. Think about your dream life. Now think about, you're looking at your dream life, you're living your dream life, and you look over there and you see someone living your nightmare. And you say to that someone, you can have my dream life, I'm gonna live your nightmare. Do you realize that's what Jesus did for you? That's what Jesus did. He gave you everything and he took on himself everything that makes your life a nightmare. This is the gospel. This is the rescue of grace. We read Ur and Onan were killed because they were wicked, right? What's astounding is that God's son, Jesus, was killed for your wickedness, for my wickedness. What? That is the rescue of grace. God loves you enough, as it says on your outline, that he not only stepped into your sin and brokenness, but he exposes your sin and brokenness. You know what? Tamar's life was broken. Tamar knew three kinds of shame. Tamar knew the shame of other people's sin, obviously. And she knew the shame of her own sin. And she knew the shame of just living in a broken world. All of those types of shame. She knew them. And God is the only rescuer from shame. Do you see God in the gospel, in Christ's death, he takes our shame. And instead of shame, he gives us his honor. So that if you are in Jesus, shame can't stick to you permanently. It's like your Teflon, it rolls off and it sticks to Christ. And his honor covers you and clothes you. Shame has no place. But you can see, just like Tamar, Judah needed to see his sin and brokenness too. And that's just what happened in verse 26, right? We talked about it. He saw his sin, and Jesus will do the same thing for you, sister. He will expose your sin and brokenness, and he steps in. There are two ways we should respond to this amazing grace. Two ways. Number one, trust God's grace. If you have heard this for a gazillionth time, Hear it with fresh ears. Trust God's grace. If you have never trusted God's grace, today could be your day. 
Today could be your birthday. Tell me, I brought presents. <laughs> Every one of us needs God's grace. All of us are sinful. All of us are broken. Today, God is giving you a fresh opportunity to receive and trust God's grace. In Jesus Christ, receiving this grace, has, it's going to require you to do a couple things. First of all, you have to admit you need it. And that's hard. It's humbling. You have to say, I am sinful. I am broken. I need your grace, Lord Jesus. I'm sure in our text at every single point, Judah justified why he did what he did. Right? I'm sure he could justify it. But the Bible gives us the big picture. It is such a blessing. In our text, we see Judah's sinful actions actually flowed from a fearful heart. Did you catch that in our text? Right? Judah was afraid Shayla would die. See fear? Did you see Judah was afraid he would get laughed at when he brought that goat, when, when Hiram brought that goat? Judah was afraid, but instead, in his fear of like looking up, Lord, help me, I'm afraid, he decided to look in to himself. He decided, I'm going to take care of this. And we're all tempted to do the same thing. But look up in your fear. Sometimes we turn to ourselves. Sometimes we turn to another crooked stick. Okay? That's not going to work out for you either. Look up. He is the only one. And today God is giving you a fresh opportunity. Admit your sin. Ask Jesus to take your place. Trust God's grace. You know, we're not only sinful and broken ourselves, but our world is sinful and broken. If you were Tamar and you had been in the midst of her situation, it would have been hard for you to see God's grace in the middle of the mess. But again, the Bible gives us a big picture. It's so refreshing. We need it. We see what Tamar couldn't. We see God's grace at work in her life. And that can give us tremendous courage, sister, when you are in the middle of the struggle. It can give you the courage to look up to the Lord. Painfully, we are aware of our brokenness in this world. And if you ever feel like Tamar, like you're at a dead end. Remember that dead end? Look up. Cry 
out. I appreciated Megan saying, if you, if you don't hear God, it doesn't mean he's abandoned you. Silence does not mean God has abandoned you. Look up, cry out, turn to God in your brokenness. But those of us who've received God's grace and trusted in God's grace, we've got to act on it. Act on it. This is the last point on your outline. Did you notice Tamar did not live with victim mentality? Did you see Tamar acted courageously? She was a victim, but she didn't act with victim mentality. She acted, right? She chose to go to Judah. She had to lean on the character of God, even when Judah clearly was not planning on keeping his word. Judah was a selfish leader, a godless leader at this point, but Tamar acted. And if you have trusted God's grace, you, sister, should start acting as well. For my friend, let me tell you what it looked like. It meant bringing injustice to the light. Acting on God's grace meant she had to tell others about what had happened to her and was happening to her. And this was scary, and it was not easy. She'd rather just pretend the abuse didn't happen, but it did. And Tamar also brought the truth to light. Because of Tamar's actions, listen up, this is astounding. Judah admitted she was more righteous than he. And you know what else? Tamar's actions actually affected Judah for good. If you read the book of Genesis, this story is a weird, wonky spot. It's in the middle of, a, of another storyline of, of all of Judah's brothers. And if you look at Judah before this chapter, he actually says to his other brothers about one brother who was a favorite brother, he's like, why don't we sell him so that we get a profit for him? And they sell, he, because of Judah's advice, sell their brother into slavery. This is Judah. And then if you look after this chapter, Judah volunteers to take the place of one of his brothers so his youngest brother would not be harmed. Judah's a changed man because Tamar brought this injustice to the light. That won't always happen in life, but it can. And that's what this story is all about. God used, used Tamar's actions to transform Judah and make him into the godly leader he needed to be. And I want you to know your labors in the name of Jesus, in faith in Jesus, are never in vain. Just like Tamar, for my friend, acting on God's grace meant bringing injustice to the light. But you know what else? It meant bringing her sin patterns to the light too. My friend came to realize her sin was not surprising to God. And your sin doesn't surprise God either. 
If you are trusting in God's grace, do you realize Jesus has already died for your sins? Past, present, and future sins. All been paid for. All of it. Forgiven, covered. Your guilt, your shame, your sin. Covered, replaced with forgiveness and honor. Your sin does not give you life. It is killing you. The only sin you can conquer is a forgiven sin. Otherwise, you're trapped. But if you know Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You are emancipated. You are set free. Your sins are forgiven. And you can start letting God bring your sin to the light and be set free from those things that only bring more shame and more pain and more regret. Because of Tamar's actions, God continued the royal line to Jesus Christ himself. Because of this story, this woman, wow, God's grace was poured out to all who would trust in Jesus. And you know what? In Genesis 38, God's breathtaking grace shines in the darkness. And sister, I want to say to you clearly today, God's breathtaking grace will shine in your dark situations. Come to him today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is authentic. We thank you that it's not neat, tied up with a bow. We thank you that you use crooked sticks. Your grace shines bright in the darkness. Thank you for our sister Tamar and for her example of trusting in you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.